Father, we thank you. Lord, as we come tonight, we love your word. We live in your word. Your word delivers us from destruction. Your word transforms us. It renews us. Father, it's forever settled in heaven. It stabilizes us. Father, it causes us uh, to know truth. Father, we pray tonight that you give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit to speak your word. Father, we pray tonight that each person here would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to do your word. Because it's your word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's your word that you said that you exalt even above your own name or your very being and character. And so, Father, we ask for that. And we ask that you would just change us tonight in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Well, we're keeping the youth up tonight because of a very special message that I want to share. And we are, uh, the title really is just very simple, Dealing with Suicide. You know, suicide is one of the most unnerving, disturbing things that can happen, not only in a family, but in a church and in a community. How many would tend to agree with that? It's one thing when someone kills another person, but it's it's something very hurtful and just strikes deep into the heart when someone takes their own life. And this last week, we had two young people who took their lives, and uh, I'm bothered by that. I don't, want it, I don't want any of that on my watch. Brandon uh, Rosendahl and Blake Nickel. Brandon's from the Pella area. Blake is from the Eddyville area. And in this last week, one was a, call, I mean, a high schooler and the other one was an eighth grader, I believe. Is that correct? And Diana knows. Diana over here is uh, the counselor for the Eddyville schools. So a lot of uh, brunt, uh, she's carrying a lot of the load right now dealing with this and dealing with uh, all that that entails, counseling and helping people. You know, I can r- relate. When I was in high school, ni- way, way ancient history, way back, 1977, I was uh, in high school. And then I went on to college in 78. was my re- freshman year in college and ended up at UNI second semester. And in that course of about a year, maybe a little more, a little less than a year, there were six suicides in my county, where I was from, South Tama. And uh, it was the highest per capita in the whole nation. Let me tell you something. Suicide becomes a force, and it begins to affect a lot of people. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very bizarre and morbid force that, that can get a hold of young people. And the enemy looks to get a foothold, and he starts with one, and if he can get another, sometimes he can get more to join into this. It, it kind of emboldens others to maybe, you know, do these things that are so terrible. And it, and it literally, and I'm going to tell you something, in the spiritual realm, God showed me this, it attracts demons to come and flock like vultures to try to get other people more cognizant of it and thinking about it, a consciousness where they're thinking about it, they're considering it. Uh, it takes away a little bit of the, uh, the edge if someone else did it first. And, and, and it's a terrible, terrible thing because the enemy is always trying to bring, you know, death. And, you know, the Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief, and, of course, that's an indirect reference. It's false teachers, but what drives the false teachers? Satan does. And, and it's, a, it's a reference to Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal life, steal people's joy. Kill the person, their very person, their physical life, their hope, and to destroy their eternity. 
possibly, and, and maybe opportunity for salvation. The devil really is a circumventer of, of good and, and wants to come and do terrible, terrible things. And, 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 it's, and, it's the, and it's a sin. It's a sin to commit suicide. The biblical prohibition is in Exodus 20 and 13, thou shalt not kill. Of course, the Hebrew word means murder. There is just killing in the Bible. Capital punishment is just killing. Self-defense in individual uh, context and in war is just killing in the Bible. And, of course, but murder is unjust killing. Two very, very profoundly different things. You just got to think about that a little bit. But the Bible says thou shalt not murder, and that applies to yourself. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're God's property. You're not your own. You know, these, these little girls, who, who, uh, this little gal, I don't know how old she was, 16 years old, she got up and at some political rally with Donald Trump and says, my body is mine, and I, I'll, I'll have an abortion if I want to because it's my body, and I'm in charge. I'm thinking, you know, you think about it, as, as you've got about the attention span of a gnat. First of all, God created your body, and he's the possessor of all things. Secondly, that body belongs to the baby. It's the baby's body. It's the father's child. It's God's creation. And it just happens to be passing through your body for a little while. And you're, and you, you, you're trying to take the, the highest uh, authority over that being. And that just, again, that just shows us where our culture is and the way we think is so, so dumbed down, so backwards, so, so illogical. And when people say things like that, I can tell they, they, they're thinking about that deep. And they, they, everything's shallow, everything's surface. They, 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 aren't, they aren't taking more than three seconds to think through on any issue in their life. And I'm so sad to see that because it's the spirit of death that drives that. There's a spirit of suicide. It's not just something you do. It's not just something that you feel. It's not just some... It's a force of satan and demonic spirits that are always trying to bring these three things to steal kill and destroy life and that isn't just like it happens on monday nights no that's 24 7 that's all of their objectives the millions and however many billions of spiritual forces there are out there. It isn't like once in a while, you know, uh, this week we just want them, you know, to, to get into adultery or this week. No, the, the reason why they want to get them to adultery is to get some type of domino effect that ultimately brings those three things to steal, kill, and to destroy. Adultery to get pregnant and then have an abortion. and that, they, they did it. They got their steal, kill, and destroy in right there. I mean, you know, it all goes back. Every, every sin... The wages of sin brings death. Every sin has a death direction to it. Death is not an event. Death is a force. Now, it does culminate in an event, but death is a force that brings about the event of physical death, spiritual death, and then separation, eternal death, or going to hell. In the Bible, there's six different suicides documented. Six is the number of fallen man. 666 is the number of the Antichrist and Satan. Seven, there are seven resurrections in the Bible, which is the number of completions, the number of God. And resurrection represents life. Suicide represents death. Six deaths, seven lives. And we can see that God has strategically placed these truths in the word of God. 
Tonight I want to go through some different examples. I want to talk about, do you really, does a person automatically go to hell if, if they commit suicide? And I'll just give the answer right up front, no, that, that's not true. A lost person will go to hell if they commit suicide, and a saved person uh, won't necessarily go to hell. They'll go to heaven, but they will go with less rewards, and they will go uh, in, in a way that is out of fellowship with God and not good. So you've got six of these in the Bible, but there's two that I want to focus in on because two really exemplify, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament I'm going to be sharing with you, that really shows the path to suicide and the effects of suicide. So as we look at that, I want to also just, there's one seemingly exception a lot of people probably will always have a question about, well, what about Samson, Pastor Bill? Samson, when he, you know, he he sinned and he was with Delilah and then when, when he, you know, married a harlot and... And then she cut his hair, and he gave in to her, and, and this whole unequally yoked business. And, and uh, of course, he's the, the, the godly one has the most losers, always the loser in that situation, and, and got his hair cut. And she went to, you know, cut his hair, and then the Philistines came, and they did some blinding and some, uh, you know, binding, and then they put him to do some grinding. I always remember those three things. You know, they poked out of his eyes, blinding. And then they bound him. Or they bound him first, and then they poked out his eyes. So there was binding, blinding. And then he got on the big stone mill under the heathens, the Philistines, and he did for them their grinding. But then his hair started to grow back, and he started to repent. And he says, God, he says, I want to defeat the Philistines. If I'd have followed you, if I'd never would have married that harlot, if I never would have gotten out of the will and let her control me, and I never would have done those things, I could have defeated all the Philistines, and I'm sure that's the plan that you had for me at one time. And then I backslid, did these stupid things, got messed up, got into this place of being bound and being blind and being a, literally a pathetic servant, a slave to these wicked people, and a slave to sin is really what that's a picture of. And he says, just give me one more chance. Let me be strong one more time. How many of you know God doesn't anoint you to commit sins? Let me say that again. God does not anoint you to commit sins like of suicide, of self-killing. See, we really don't look at Samson as a suicide. Well, you all know the story. God gave him his strength back, and he went into this great big heathen party where the Philistines, you know, uh, where what happens in, in this party stays at that party, you know. Vegas, some of you caught that, some of you will in a few minutes. And so he goes into this big, you know, Philistine party, and they're all there, and they have a little boy lead him out. He whispers to the little boy, he says, little boy, there's two great big huge columns right in the middle. Lead me over in between those. And so they took him over there, and they tied him off, and they're all laughing at him, they're mocking him, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes upon him, the anointing comes upon him. For one last time to finish the job that he was supposed to do, which is to take out the spiritual cancer called the Philistines and the wickedness and the servants of Satan. And he took and pushed those big columns out, and the whole thing came down upon him. And it killed Samson, but it also finished the work that he was originally called to do, which was to take out the Philistines. No, he wasn't a committer of suicide, he wasn't there to kill himself, he was a military martyr doing the work of God. And he carried out the plan that God had. 
And he could have done it without dying. But because he got out of God's will, he was able to accomplish it uh, and, and by dying. So anyway, just want that up front and clear that that was not a suicide. Now, there were six suicides. I'll just give you the names of these guys real quick. In Judges 9.54, Abimelech had his armor bearer stab him through. And I'm going to tell you the reason because it's going to take way too much time if I do that. 1 Samuel 31.5, Saul's armor bearer uh, falls upon his own sword. In 2 Samuel 17.23, Ahithophel hung himself. In 1 Kings 16.18, Zimri burned himself to death in the palace as he set it on fire and stayed inside the palace as it burnt to the ground. So there were people who did this. But every one of those were wicked people. Every one of them. And we're going to look at two wicked people, but didn't seem to be very wicked from the beginning that ended up committing suicide. And we're going to walk through the journey of what happened with them. And those two people are in the Old Testament, King Saul, and New Testament, Judas. Both were chosen leaders. The prophet Samuel himself chose Saul to be king. He anointed him and he appointed him. Jesus himself chose Judas to be one of that intimate circle of 12, the 12 apostles. Now you think about that. How did this get started? What was, why did they fall? Well, we can start out the story with both of them. They both had disrespect and disobedience for their spiritual leader, for the man of God in their life. First Samuel 15, chapter, we all know the story very well. Saul goes out and does evil. Samuel comes to him and he anoints him, he points him, he says, go down to Agag, kill all the animals, kill all the people, all the children, the women, the grandpa, because they're a cancer. And God commands him to do something. I'm sure that wasn't easy to do. Kill the king. Take out everything. It's anathema. It's cursed. Let, let, it, let it be destroyed. He goes down there and he, you know, compromises. He brings back the animals. He's got the king with him. Him and the king are like walking together, and maybe they become buddies. I don't know what happened, why he didn't do the job. He comes back, and the prophet Samuel says, what have you done? He went, and he, and he, and he says, well, he says, you know, I, I just, uh, the people, the people want to keep it, and we just thought maybe we'd bring it back and, and use it to sacrifice. It's like, wait a minute. Only holy, specially chosen things that are approved by the priests and the priests make that approval the priests do that work and and the priests you're not in charge of that you have no business what do you what are you thinking of and so he begins to talk back to the prophet he says when you were young you were humble but now you're very proud and you think obedience you know that uh, that your sacrifice is, is going to do it, but obedience is better and they have this they have this back and forth and there's a disobeying there's a sneakiness doing it behind his back. And then he tries to use a religious excuse, and he says, well, we're going to use it for the sacrifice. Yeah. How I many you know liars make it up as they go? Wicked people always try to come off with some pious reason why they did it. Then you got Judas, and in Judas 12, 4 through 6, let's see, well, we'll just turn there. And, and we won't take long on this because this is the negative side. We're going to get to the more positive side is what to do when people are, are, or when you're dealing with people that are struggling with these type of things. But in John, we see that Judas was stealing out of the bag. Well, he was the treasurer. Well, he was taking the money, in other words. And we can see that he was a lot like old Saul. He's being quite disrespectful 
to his leader. He's being very deceptive to his leader. He's very much behind the scenes to the leader. And it says this, Then saith one, and we're in John 12, 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And this is this godly woman who said that Jesus said should be used for a memorial who came up and poured out a year's worth of salary in this special ointment to anoint Jesus for his burial. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, hypocrite, but because he was a thief, reality, behind Jesus' back. He was a thief. He was a hypocrite. And he had the bag and bare what was put therein. He wanted that money put in the bag. He was saving for the poor, but so he could steal more money out of it. Now, it starts out, in many cases, with lost people, with wicked people. The devil lures them into some type of sin. And I don't know what the gain was for Saul, but Saul, for some reason, didn't want to kill that king and for some reason brought back all that livestock. I don't know if he sold some of that livestock. I don't know what he did with that livestock, but Saul was disobedient. Judas was disobedient. They were both very sneaky, and they both made up religious reasons why they did what they did to try to get out of you know, uh, the, the condemnation that they were bringing upon themselves. Number two, we see that Saul begins to see David arise. David kills Goliath. David becomes a hero. David has the women singing, oh, gosh, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his 10,000. They're singing, doing the tambrils and, and, and tambourines and dancing and, and all of a sudden, Saul's thinking, I'm no longer the head honcho around here. And suddenly, he's jealous. Suddenly, he's threatened. Suddenly, he hates David. Suddenly, he's throwing javelins at David. He's trying to kill him. Suddenly, he's hunting him down. And now, David becomes a fugitive instead of the, the great man in the kingdom that saved the day when he killed Goliath, the giant. And suddenly, he hates him. Suddenly, he's jealous. Suddenly, he's, he's becoming of a murderous spirit. And he wants to... Un- you know, he's chasing David down. And you can go over to 1 Samuel 28, 18. And while he's looking for David, the priests hide David. And the priests keep David from getting caught. And he finds out about it. And here comes Saul. And he kills all the holy priests of God. How many say he's getting kind of bad? Yeah. Satan's getting a little bit more of a foothold. See, sin gives place to the devil. You know, in Ephesians 4, 20, it says, give no place to the devil. You know, the devil just doesn't walk into your life and have any right-of-ways. Sin, the flesh, is where you get tempted with. Sin is when you act. And then when you sin is when you open up the door for the devil and you give place to the devil. So now he's really giving place to the devil because now he's cooperating with the kill, steal, and destroy great demonic commission. You know, they're sent out to kill, steal, and destroy. That's their great commission. And now, all of a sudden, Saul, who's supposed to be working with God, is actually now working with the devil. Now he gives place to the devil. Now Judas, in John 12, 4 through 6, you know, he's stealing from the bag, and he starts out with small, petty crime sins. And suddenly, he indirectly goes to the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and said, I can tell you where this Jesus guy is that you're looking for. And he says, if you'll pay me 30 pieces of silver, I'll take you out to the garden where he's going to be, and I'll walk up and kiss him and betray him 
for 30 pieces of silver. And he knows what they're going to do. He knows they're going to kill him. And so all of us now, he is in a conspiracy. He is in, he's a, what is it when you're an accessory to the crime? Is that what they call it? He becomes an accessory to murder. See, you can always tell. I don't care if it's abortion. I don't care if it's a sin of hatred because the Bible says sin, the sin of hatred is a sin of murder when you hate people, when you're racist or, or if you, you just have a hate uh, for someone. It's, that's, that's the same as the sin of murder, the Bible says. And so now he's getting involved with somebody else's death. He's paid to betray him so they can take him, have a false... A false and it, it says that they killed him because they were jealous. They didn't have anything. It was a false mock trial. It was all, broke all the rules of the Sanhedrin. And Judas is part of this. Wow. Now, this is where it really starts getting scary. First of all, it's a disrespect and it's a being devious and behind the back and, and the sin starts to grow. And then before you know it, you don't realize you're becoming a partner with killing, stealing, and destroying. And then Saul, when the priest, excuse me, when, when Samuel the prophet confronts him, he misses it when he has the opportunity to repent. This is where I really want to bring you to because many times if people would repent, they would never end up committing suicide. Now, we're talking about most cases lost people. Let me show you how Saul never really understood true Bible repentance. In 1 Samuel 15, 21, the people took the spoil of the sheep, he says, and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord God in Gilgal. That's his answer to Saul. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying? He says, You should obey. The voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So now he really starts calling it what it is. And stubbornness, so he's rebellious and stubborn, is the iniquity of idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Now he's saying he rejected God's word. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And he was disrespectful. He was a smart aleck. He was denying. He's making excuses until... The prophet said, God's going to reject you to be king. And then suddenly he says this. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy word, because I feared the people and obeyed the voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. See, he was only sorry for getting caught. You know, David, when he got caught and he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he says, oh, against you alone, Lord, you and you alone have I sinned. You know, repentance is when it's you understanding that your sin is against the Lord. It's a relational breach. See, with Saul, it was only a breaking of the rules, and I didn't keep the rules. Okay, I said I'm sorry because I really am only sorry for getting caught. Because I argued with you about it, justified myself about it. But the minute you started saying you're going to take away me being king, oh, now I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I broke the rules. It's not like, I've sinned against you, Lord. Please forgive me. I've breached our relationship. See, that's when you know somebody's really repenting. See, when you get off into sin and you never repent and you never repent and you never repent, 
You never confess your sin. You never confess your sin. And you keep hardening your heart. You keep hardening your heart. The devil gets more and more of a stronghold. The devil gets deeper and deeper into your life. And the deeper gets, and, and the, the devil gets that deeper control over your life. This is what happens to people. And they don't realize it. You see, Judas, he didn't know how to repent properly either. Let's go over to Matthew 27 quickly. And, and we'll look at something, another parallel between Saul and Judas. You know, Judas committed this, and then it, for some reason, the reality of it really hit him. And then he was sorrowful because he knew, he started to kind of realize what he did. And he completely goes about repenting the wrong way. Look, look at this verse of Scripture, Matthew 27. And it says... And when the morning was come, the chief priests, verse 1, and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went. And we know the rest of the story. He went and hanged himself. So here, here's the strange thing. He tried to go to the priests to repent. How many of you know he should have been going to Jesus? He should have been going to the Heavenly Father. He should have been going to the apostles. He should have been going to his friends. He should have taken that money and maybe given it back. But he, you don't go to the priests, the ones who paid you the money, and ask them for forgiveness. Like you violated taking the money from them and then wish you didn't do it. No, you don't go to the priest. Just like you don't get sorry because you broke the rule. You don't, you're not sorry because you got caught. You don't repent to the priest, the, the co-conspirators that killed Jesus. You don't repent to them. You go to the Lord and say, against you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. So he didn't get repentance. He misses it on understanding what repentance really is. When you miss it on understanding what repentance is, it tells me you never really had a relationship. Can I get an amen? If you don't know how to repent, it's because you never really had a relationship because repentance is all about a relationship restoration. And so he didn't know. And then what happens next is very bizarre because it says that Saul is replaced by another. And I'm, I'm going to speed up here. And in Acts 17, 20, it says Judas was replaced by another and let his bishopric be taken from him and given to another, it says. And that's in 1 Samuel 15, 28 for Saul. And then it says in Acts 1, 17 through 20, Judas is replaced by another. And so they, here they are. They're sinning. They're doing things behind their back. Uh, they're selling out. They're, they're involved in life and death, taking somebody's life. And all these things begin to happen. They're replaced by another. And then in 1 Samuel 16, 13 through 15, it says, When David, the Spirit of God, came upon him, and Saul was turned over to a demon spirit. Now, here's the part I want you to listen to. Because people that commit suicide almost always are hearing voices telling them to do it. Almost without exception. Almost without exception. And here's something I want to point out that happened with both Saul and Judas. First Samuel 31. No, excuse me. First Samuel 16. And look what it says. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. This is David. In the midst of his brethren. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God. Well, if you look up in the Hebrew, that means that God allowed an evil spirit to come upon him. When he had gotten to this point where there was no repentance left in him. Now let's look at Judas. And we can see that Satan also is allowed to go into Judas. John 13, 21. And so there's a component of spiritual doors that are open. There's a component of where Satan is given a place in people's lives. There is a component here that it's a very bizarre thing, and it's in John 13 and 21. And I'm going to just read again. I'm, I'm reading a lot out of the scriptures, I know, but uh, just, just listen. And, uh, and I'm just going to go. Jesus says, there's going to be one that's going to betray me. We'll pick up in verse 26. And Jesus answered, and he says, It is to whom I shall give sop when I have dipped it. And he's saying, that's the one that's going to betray me. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That that thou doest, go do quickly. And that was the betrayal. And then we go back, and the final thing is, when Satan gets a place, and Satan can begin to talk to people, you see this progression. We see that Saul, at the end of chapter 30, you can see that Saul is fighting against the Philistines. And if he would have originally gone and killed the people of Agag, he wouldn't have had to deal with them. He disobeyed, and it came back on him later. And the battle is going bad, and they're losing. And Samuel knows, you know, he even tried to get a witch to try to get him in contact with God because he had no contact with God anymore. Completely non-repentant, completely away. And the verse picks up like this, And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul. And it says, I'm going to start in verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadad, and Melchishua's, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded by the archers. And he said, Saul, then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through. Therefore, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But the armor bearer would not. For he was sore afraid, and therefore Saul took a sword, and he fell upon it. And of course, we know, as we just read over in Matthew, the same thing happens. He hears about Jesus being put to death. I won't even turn there. And Judas goes, and he hangs himself and commits suicide. So, I said all that to say this. There is a clear path that starts out with dishonoring and disobeying and being deceitful with those who are in authority in your life. You disobey, you dishonor, and you're deceitful. Then what it opens up, as we can see here, that they begin to have a coalition with people who do evil and even and bring death. And then they begin to deny, and when they have an opportunity to repent, for some reason there's no repentance left in them. And then God replaces them 
And then Satan is allowed to come in because it's almost like God says, you want to go this way? I will allow you to. I will allow you to do whatever you want. And then lastly, the, the devil gets in and voices start to come. There's a clear pattern, wrong relationships with the leader, entering into sin, wrong or false repentance or not understanding and having true repentance because there's no real relationship. Then thirdly, the effects is God replaces them. Satan gives, is given a place, and then there's nothing left to live for in their mind, and they begin to take their life. That is truly what happens in a wicked person's life that commits suicide. You know, but there are cases of suicide of godly people who fall prey to the enemy's attacks and different trials and circumstances of life. So when a person's in the world and they commit suicide, that's what it looks like. That's what a wicked person who doesn't know God or refuses to walk with God, those are the progressions that the enemy takes them down. And we see it both in the Old and New Testament. Out of the mouth of two witnesses, we can see clear patterns that when a person doesn't repent, when a person is deeply in sin, when a person gets turned over to Satan, when a person loses all hope, the devil has them by the throat. And then they feel like there's no way out. You know, I was at a time in my life when I was, right before I was saved, I, I grew up in a Catholic home. I was raised in church, went to church every Sunday. Prayed every day. And I was lost and would have went to hell if I would have died. And I was so unhappy that every day, and it was during that time where six other people committed suicide in our county, I would think about God. I don't want to live. Take my life. Don't have any idea what I want to do with it. I'm completely unhappy. This is depressing. I'm not used to this. Everything I used to do was, was good. You know, everything went my way. I was successful at everything I did. But now there's this season in my life where I'm just miserable. I, I, I don't like life anymore. I used to really uh, excel at everything. And now I, I can't seem to get any direction. I can't seem to be happy. I can't seem to uh, just get any. Uh, and I just would say, Lord. And the amazing thing was I found out later after talking, both of my roommates were saying the same thing in their mind every single day. And I thought it was me. And what it was was a voice in my head telling me, commit suicide. You're unhappy. Nobody, nobody really cares. You need to just make this thing get over with. And when my roommates both told me, you know, strangest thing. About one way, he, was a, he was a starting running back for University of Northern Iowa. His name is Ricky Niedermeyer. The guy was about 190 pounds, about five foot six jump up and do a backflip, land on his feet, bench 400 and some pounds. I mean, this guy was like super stud athlete. I used to go lift weights with him. And he says, I think about committing suicide every day. And my other roommate, he says, that's bizarre. He says, I, I, every time I, I go drinking and, and I'm drinking, I come back, he says, I think about committing suicide. I'm going to tell you something. It is not you. Demon spirits have come to tell you to commit suicide. Did you know, too, the greatest men in the Bible thought about it? There, you know, there are, you know, all these cases of serious sin and rebellion people, but there's godly people who fall prey to this. 1 Kings 19, fourth, uh, 19, chapter 4. After a great victory over the prophets of Baal, Jezebel threatens to take Elijah's life, and he asks God to take his life. Moses, after he has his great victory, you know, just like killing the 400 prophets of Baal, that was a big deal. Jezebel was, she was queen. I mean, she was the honcho, and, and these were her prophets, and he went and killed them all. 
When Moses came out of Egypt and they, de they defeated Pharaoh, the most powerful army in the world, the most powerful man in the world, they drowned all of his army. God drowned all of his army. That was, let me tell you something, that was a victory of all victories. And then he gets out and all these people are murmuring. There's so many of them that he's overwhelmed. He says, God, kill me. How many of you can be a godly person and have these thoughts? God, kill me. Get rid of me. I don't want to live anymore. Let me tell you something. That is not you. That's not something wrong with your brain. That's not something wrong with you. That is the enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Do not attribute that to yourself. That is a force that comes upon evil men and godly men alike. And suicide is a demon every single time. It's a demonic force that comes against you. And usually you will hear voices and you'll hear yourself talking to yourself. Did you know the voice that you're the voice of your mind, the voice of your mind, the voice of God's spirit, and the voice of the devil all sound exactly the same? That's why you have to have the Bible to discern which one it is. Because the devil speaks through the voice of your mind. God speaks through the voice of your mind. You speak to yourself through the voice of your mind. So you don't know which one is God, the devil, or you unless you know the word of God really well. Somebody say amen. And there are forces that will come, especially in light of what just happened in our community, that will try to get you to think that way. And more than anything else, it'll try to get to you to think that it's you instead of the demon. Somebody say amen. See, three common areas that you come under attack as a child of God. These feelings are not from your sin, but they many times attack you even if you're, you know, you're not like Saul. You're not, you say, well, I'm not like Saul. I'm not like Judas, but I, I've thought that before. Well, so did Moses. So did Elijah. When guilt comes, this is what you do with it. Many people are ridden with guilt. You repent and you confess your sins and you're free. See, I was a Catholic. I didn't know what real repentance was. I thought repentance is go to the priest, get in the confessional, you know, that wooden-looking refrigerator that they have in the middle of the church. It's got two doors, and one guy goes in one door, and the other guy goes in the other door, and the one guy tells the other guy all about his sins. And then you think you're forgiven. See, I had a wrong idea of repentance. I didn't realize that there's a sorrow that leads me to repentance to come before God and ask him for forgiveness and have him forgive me if I confess my sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And we even are called to confess our sins one to another if we've sinned against one another and go ask him for forgiveness. Can I get an amen? That, you know, the Ten Commandments are four commandments about God and four commandments about your fellow men and your love towards God and your love towards your fellow men, your forgiveness towards God, your forgiveness towards your fellow man. There's two worlds Love the Lord thy God with all thy strength and thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. See, so the first thing that you, many people don't understand is they have guilt and they have such guilt, they don't know to repent. Paul, Saul didn't understand repentance. Judas didn't understand repentance and they lost all hope and they started to cooperate and they got filled with the devil because they couldn't stop sinning because they couldn't start repenting. You need to just repent and that'll take that guilt away. And you need to get born again. Make sure you're born again. And then when you repent, not just confess your sins, but confess your sins and repent, God will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and the guilt will leave you. 
Because, you know, if you're guilty, you're guilty and you need to repent. How many of you know sometimes we're guilty of the sin that we're feeling? And we need to repent. Don't say there's no condemnation. There isn't any condemnation, but you've still been guilty and you still need to repent and ask for forgiveness for it. Can I get an amen? No condemnation for your eternal salvation is what that's talking about. Number two, many people are depressed, or depression is a lack of joy. Joy is what carries us in life. If you're feeling that, then what you need to do is understand that in his presence is fullness of joy. You're not spending enough time in his presence. If you feel depressed, it's because you lack joy. Joy overrides feelings. Can I get an amen? Joy is from your spirit man, not your soulish man. And so you need to get in his presence. Secondly, you need to renew your mind. It says in James, it says that uh, the engrafted word is able to save your soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and your emotions. That's not your spirit man. So the word of God, when you renew your mind, you save, you sozo, that's the word, you sozo your mind, your will, and more than anything else, your emotions. Everybody say your emotions. How many of you know you can get your emotions saved and they can stop being such not, not, not head? Because everybody's emotions are stupid. I mean, come on. Emotions don't make any sense half the time. See, if you're depressed or have a lack of joy, you need to get in his presence because in his presence is full. Everybody say fullness of joy. And if you're, if, you, if you're not operating in the word and your mind is not renewed, see, John 1, 1, the more you're in the word, the more you're in his presence. In the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God. My words are spirit and life. When you get in the word, you're getting into his presence. And as you understand that we renew our mind and then God begins to fill us with the spirit because his words are spirit and life. Then three, the big one is voices. When you hear yourself talking to yourself in a crazy way, in a way that's contrary to your good, you hear yourself talking to yourself in a way that you're not used to hearing yourself talk to yourself, that's because it isn't you talking anymore. It's the devil using the voice of your mind, interjecting thoughts, imposing thoughts into your mind. And when you begin to hear yourself talk to yourself in a way that doesn't seem right, that seems to be wanting to hurt yourself, know that that is always demonic forces. Don't be fooled by that. Well, we thought I was going to talk in a voice like this. That's not what demons sound like. Sorry, Hollywood, you're a bunch of bipolar morons in Hollywood. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know one verse out of the scriptures. The voice of the devil sounds just like your voice talking to you. But when it starts talking to you in a way that really starts saying some strange things, you know it's the devil. Come against it. Say, shut up. I'm going to take authority over you, devil. I'm going to tromp on your face because the Bible says that he has given us power and authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm me. Greater is he that's in me that's in than he that is in the world. I'll submit therefore to God to resist the devil and he'll flee from me. I overcome the blood with the blood of the lamb. I overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony and love not my life unto death. I'm sober and vigilant, for the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. I could go on. I can quote 
tons and tons and tons of scriptures. You better have the word because he isn't going to go away just because you say go away. No, you got to use the word. It's the sword of the spirit. You better know what the Bible says about your relationship to the devil, that you have authority over him. Don't ever let the devil talk to you like that, even though it's your own voice. Somebody say amen. I'll tell you something, praying in tongues will run the devil out faster than anything else. Because when you pray in tongues, you pray in a supernatural language that transcends the tongue of men and the tongue of angels. And then there's, and they'll speak with new tongues, that's new creational language that goes beyond anybody's comprehension. For no man understands how being the Spirit speaks mysteries, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. If we pray in an unknown tongue, we speak not unto men, but unto God. And so we, we've got to understand that two things, when you speak the word and when you pray in tongues, let me tell you something. What, did I share about Sid Roth? Yeah. When you do that, the enemy leaves. Let me tell you something. When, when I got born again, and, and I, I was still fighting off these feelings about, right after I got born again, I still kind of fought off those feelings. But when I started praying in tongues, let me tell you something. I instantly went from depression to total joy, and I've never been a depressed person since. I've never had anything like that since. And I had instant joy and instant authority over the devil. I used to fear demons. That that was a big fear in my life, that I would encounter some type of a spiritual force. I used to fear that. I used to not like to stay alone at night. I used to not sleep well every night. And I'd had some experiences, too, that would be justifying if you're lost. But when I know I've got authority over them, and I know that they've got to obey me, and I know I'm going to tread upon them, and I'm going to judge the angels at the Day of Judgment, and that's what it says in the book of Corinthians, I have no fear of the devil. I, I used to be oppressed by devils, but I'm thinking maybe now I oppress some devils. And that's what you ought to be doing. And instead of them making you wish that you'd die, I like to think that I make some devils wish that they could die. <laughs> Amen. Well, I went way too long. But let me just say this. A lot of people are mentally sick just like they're physically sick because someone committed suicide as a young person, as a naive person, as a person with probably a relatively unrenewed mind, even though they might have been Christians. Most likely they're in heaven. It's when lost people commit suicide that they go to hell. Yeah, but the last thing they did on earth was commit a sin, Pastor Bill. Doesn't that send them to hell? No, our going to heaven is not based on our sins or not. We go to heaven based on whether we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can I get an amen? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by renewing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Romans says, and who shall separate us from God? If God be for us, who can be against us? You see, it took a decision to get in with... Now, if you reject Jesus and you don't want him more, you know, it takes a, a divorce, a marriage to get in and a divorce to get out. It takes a decision to get into this marriage relationship with Christ as his bride, and it takes a divorce to get out, a cognitive choice to totally reject after you've fully known. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, or 6, 6. You see, you can't sin your way to hell after you're saved. But you can send your way to a hard heart that will make you reject Jesus. That will cause you to lose your salvation. Everybody get that? You can't wear out God's grace, but you can wear out your ability to receive it. 
And sin does that. You don't sin your way into hell just like you do good your way into heaven. No, you go to heaven because you receive Jesus and you go to hell because you haven't received Jesus or you're fully known him and fully rejected him and don't want him. You really don't want him. He won't force himself on anybody. And you can harden your heart, it says in Hebrews 3rd chapter. So anybody get anything out of this tonight? If you see somebody who's acting strange and talking about death, you need to get them some help. You need to be with them. You need to share with them the word of God. Share with them that those voices is the enemy who's come to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Let's all stand up. Sin is a danger. We need to stay away from sin. We need to properly relate to those who are over us. We need to obey. We need to resist the devil. We need to truly repent when we need to repent. We need to give no place to Satan. Why does Paul tell Christians to not give place to the devil? And how might you do that? Through sin and not repenting. Exactly the way Judas and and, uh, Saul did. There's a reason why God says these things. So tonight, if there's anybody here and you've been struggling. I know we're going late tonight, but God told me to deal with this tonight. I don't like when kids are killing themselves. That really disturbs me. And if there's anybody here tonight with heads bowed and you are struggling with that, I want you to come down here and let me pray for you. And I'm going to ask you to come right now if there's anybody like that. Just go ahead. Raise your hand and then I want you to come down. Is there any acknowledgement if you're struggling in any way, shape, or form with these type of things? I want to pray for you tonight and I want you to receive some help. Well, praise the Lord. God's giving you this information then to take to other people. How many of you know somebody that you think might be struggling with this? Raise your hand. There's two people. There's, there's three. There's four. There's five. There's six. We almost all know people who are struggling. Amen? You need to share with them the things that I taught you tonight. I mean, you don't have to go into the great detail that I did, but you need to share with them that there is hope and God loves them.